Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. As we finished up the series, the One Another series this summer, uh, going uh, through the various passages in the New Testament that uh, contain that phrase. Uh, we were taking a, a little break in our series uh, going through the book of James, and so we're returning today for a few more weeks as we finish it out. When we were uh, stuck in England uh, during our trip over there, the first part of the trip, of course, as you may remember, was uh, doing a retreat with the various workers over there and uh, speaking and visiting with uh, our workers and our, our missionaries over there. And then the volcano hit and uh, we ended up staying uh, exactly seven more days, uh, much to our relief, uh, uh, really, because uh, some were talking about weeks and months and that, that kind of a thing. Uh, we were on our way somewhere in that second week and we stopped in uh, a small town called Epworth. Some of you may recognize that, especially if you have Methodist background, uh, that phrase. A lot of camps and even some churches are named after that little town. Epworth was where uh, the Wesleys were born. Uh, Their father was a pastor there, and John and Charles Wesley were born in that town. Now, Wesley made a practice of praying for four hours every day. you imagine that? Four hours every single day. Martin Luther prayed for two hours every day, except for days when he was busy. And then he prayed for three hours. That was his priority in prayer. Now in a couple minutes, I'm going to ask those of you that pray for 30 minutes or more to stand and remain standing. (laughs) That was as nervous a laugh as I've heard here. (laughs) But it's because you know I wouldn't do that to you. But what if somebody did? Would you get that queasy feeling, oh no, I'm going to be exposed. Everyone will know, either either I've got to stand up or not stand up on on this one. Well, why, why don't you pray more? And by the way, when I ask a question like that, you've got to know that I've had to cope with that very question all week long. So you just have these next few minutes to to cope with it. Let me give you the answer, though, why you don't pray more. Because you don't want to. Now, you might say, like I would respond to that, yes, I want to pray more. I, I I really wish I prayed more. I want to. And you might be thinking that. 
But if you really wanted to, you would. Because we do what we want to do. It's a matter of whether or not we will make it a priority for that set amount of time. So then the next question behind that one is, well, okay, maybe if I haven't made it a priority because I don't want to for some reason, why don't I want to pray more? Well, here's the tendency. And we can't just put it in a cookie cutter. There are various reasons and struggles that that different people have in terms of prayer and so on. But here's the tendency is when people are seeing answers to prayer, they pray more. And when people pray and they feel like their prayers are not being answered, they tend to pray less. Now, what can we do? If in our mind we say, you know, I I do want to pray more, what can we do to break that spiral away from prayer where we are unwilling to make it that kind of a priority? Well, there's various things in the Scripture that deal with that, that speak to prayer. You can't possibly put them all in one sermon. Uh, This passage before us, though, addresses at least one area. Uh, Let's look at James chapter 4. He had just spoken about wisdom from above, and uh, he's contrasting it with wisdom from below, and that's really where we uh, took our our break. And so in chapter 4, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then our verse of the year. Do not be anxious in Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, in our our minds, there's at least many here today who would say, we really do want to pray more. We know we need to. And we want to, but it is such a struggle. But you know, your word even says that. It talks about struggling in prayer. 
And so today, Lord, will you give us encouragement? Will you help us to to analyze, to take a, a good hard look at our practice of prayer and see what you have said in your word about that. We pray that you'd give us open hearts to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's rather obvious in this passage that the first aspect that that James deals with in terms of the believer not receiving is that sometimes the believer doesn't receive because he hasn't asked God. It's pretty obvious. You haven't asked. You're not going to receive. Some are saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to live this Christian life uh, and my desires in that Christian life are not being met. I don't know what to do next. And if you were honest and you said it out loud, you would say, my prayer life is a shambles. I just don't spend any time doing it. I can't make myself do it. I feel like I need to be doing something instead of praying. Isn't that the tendency? Really get out there and do something rather than just pray. And yet some of those very things are the things that get in the way. Now, one of the problems is that sometimes our theology may even get in the way. Now, it shouldn't if we understand our theology right. But there are perhaps some of you that may somewhere in your mind be thinking, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe He's omniscient. He knows everything. So why do I need to spend time telling Him things in prayer? Why why do I need to? Well, that's a big subject there. Let me give you just two quick reasons. The first one is because he said so. (laughs) Okay? We've always got to start with that. And you know what? If, If there wasn't any other reason, that should be sufficient. He said to pray, even our verse of the year, but all throughout the scripture. He tells us that that's what we are to be about, talking with him, letting our desires be made known to him. You see, he ordained not just the end of things, but also the means, the instruments. And one of the things he uses to accomplish uh, his will is the prayer of weak and feeble people like us. So we start with, why should we pray? Well, the the first reason is because he he said to. And then also know this. If you're kind of saying, okay, but I I still need some some answer in my mind. Why, Why would he say to? Well, understand that it's not so much for his benefit. In other words, when 
when you pray, it's not because he's wanting you to inform him of something he doesn't know. It's for your benefit and my benefit. And it comes back to bending our wills to his instead of trying to bend his will to ours. It's a big difference there. Well, there's another theological question, and that is, well, okay, in the big picture of things, does prayer change anything? If God has a decree and he's in control of all things, does prayer change things? That was just a teaser of a question because we're going to deal with that in the last part of the last chapter of James. We have to deal with it there when, where it talks about the prayer of faith, and we're not going to deal with that today, but it's a valid question and one that deserves to be dealt with. So I guess you're just going to have to come back, uh, and you never know when I'm going to get to that last chapter either, so... Now, with this uh, not receiving because we haven't asked, uh, according to James, that may mean we actually have too much faith in ourselves. Look at the first couple of verses here. And it, and it may almost seem disjointed. So you've got to remember the context because verses 1 and 2 connect with the end of chapter 3 which had uh, spoken of godly wisdom that leads to peace. So it's saying wisdom from God is going to lead us to peace. And we t- when we talked about that, we said it's the ultimate peace. It's peace in Christ. doesn't mean that everything around us is peaceful, but it has to do with relationship with Christ. But then he goes on in uh, what's divided here as into chapter 4. The first verse says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he says, you do not have because you do not ask. So he's pointing the finger here at least at some uh, of the readers as being guilty of coveting, quarreling, fighting, and so on. He even puts murder in there. But, and, and that coveting, he's basically saying, look, you see something, you lust after it, and you do everything that's necessary, whether it's a right way to go after it or a wrong way, you do everything that's necessary in order to get what you want. If it means pushing people around, you do that. And you might say, well, I would never murder anyone. And yet, here he's talking about their own version of kind of a might makes right. And put that person on their heels. If I can quarrel with them, I can get my way. Now, that can get in the way of prayer. If we think, look, if anything's going to happen here, it depends on me, which can kind of be the American way. It's kind of the way maybe some of us were raised. 
maybe many of us, you got to make your own way in this world. There's truth in that. And yet, the question with that kind of mentality is, all right, well, where, do, where does prayer and where does God fit into all of this? And that even asking it that way is a backwards question. It's where does all of this fit in with him? And so it can get in the way that you have really your own thoughts and your own sense of needing to accomplish everything. Our verse of the year says, don't be anxious about anything. Now there, you know, that's the opposite of the peace. And by the way, the promise in our verse of the year is, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding. So you've got, you've got on the one hand, he says, here's all this quarreling, you're all upset, you're, you know, you're doing all of this stuff. And he said, here's the opposite, is you pray, and then he offers you peace because you do that. I saw a poster that said, when all else fails, pray. No. (laughs) No. Now look, I'm sorry if you got to go home and take that off your wall (laughs) or if you got to beat everyone out to the parking lot because it's on your bumper, okay? But it's backwards. And yet, that's that even among Christians, that's the mentality. <clears throat> oh man, I've tried everything. You know, we ought to pray about this. <laughs> you know. I guess we could pray. You see how backwards that is? Before you try everything else, pray is what it should be. Now it also this not asking may be a a lack of faith in God. Uh, If we go back to chapter 1 of James, uh, and we dealt with this at the time, but but it's very fitting with this, and it's a part of the context. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is verse 5 of chapter 1, let him ask God, there's the asking part, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. If we really believe that God gives generously, we would pray more. If we really believe that. Now again, look. I know because this is my response. I would even, you know, say, I believe that. But that's where somehow there's a disconnect between what we believe and what we follow through with. If we really believe that and yet we don't ask, then how much do we really believe that he's the one that gives generously? It's not God helps those who help themselves. It's you have not because you ask not. Now, here's one of our other problems sometimes, and this can come out in how we, because of our lack of faith, may pray kind of general prayers that 
well, let's just say there's no way they will be answered no. If, for instance, uh, you pray, you know, you, you don't know what God's will is, and so you, you say, okay, well, I, I don't want to go too much out on a limb. I'm not sure I have the faith for that. And so, God, please bless all the missionaries. Now, no matter what happens, you can interpret a yes to that answer, okay? You can find some missionary that will come and will talk about how God has blessed them in their ministry, and you can say, great, my prayer is answered. And yet, he wants us to pray more specifically because being specific shows our faith in God. He is going to answer. Now, here's the risky part. He is going to answer. And the, but the answer, and you've probably heard this if you've been around churches any length of time, the answer is either yes or no or not yet. Something like that, or wait, or something like that. But his answer is always the best answer. And that's where the faith comes in. Where we're willing to say, even if you say no or not yet, that's the best answer. Martin Luther said this, if God told me to eat the waste off the streets, he used the word dung, this is Martin Luther. If God told me to eat the waste off the street, not only would I eat it, but I would know that it was good for me. <laughs> is that just a silly statement? It's a gross statement, but it's, it's, it's true. You see what he's saying? If there was something so contrary to what I think is right but God told me to do it, I would know that somehow that's what's best for me. Now that's a statement of faith. Being willing to acknowledge that God always does what's best for us, whether his answer is yes or no or wait. Now, there's a second reason given in this passage for not receiving from God, and that is that sometimes the believer doesn't receive because he has wrong motives. Look at verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So you're saying, Dale, are you saying that, that God may not answer our prayers because of our wrong motives? James says that. You ask with wrong motives. You see, you look at, at the ministry of Jesus and how often when he was dealing with people and particularly with like the Pharisees, he didn't, he didn't have much problem with their actions. But his problem was with their motives behind their actions. He didn't have a problem that they fasted, that they prayed. But his problem was, why did they do it the way that they wanted to, and, or that they, they did it uh, publicly? Uh, Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, 
that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their rewards. You see what he's saying? He's he's not saying, don't fast, don't do these things. But he's saying, look at your motivation in doing it. In the Old Testament, we, we read in Proverbs, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when it Uh, He brings it with evil intent. Now, it was God that told them to present sacrifices. But he's saying if the wicked do that and and they do it with evil intent, it's an abomination to God. Not because of the outward action, but because of the inward motivation. Now, what are the wrong motivations James speaks of? First of all, wrong motives towards self. He's saying what you're asking for is wrong. Um, Your motive is wrong because you're asking selfishly. Recently, uh, somebody in our community uh, said to me, Dr. Weldon, you need to be praying that uh, I will win the lottery. And I said, oh, why should I pray that you win the lottery? She said, well, because if I win the lottery, I'm going to give your church a lot of money. I said, right. (laughs) (laughs) Who hasn't heard that or maybe said it? God, you know that I would love to give to Haiti or whatever. If you would only see fit. You see how ludicrous that is? Looking at God as if he were some kind of a bellhop that ought to bring you whatever you ask for, whether it's good for you or not. Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said, When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without heart. It's not just about uttering the words. You know, maybe you even... Look back at these first few minutes of worship and, and some of your worship was presented that way. You were just going through the motions. I can say the Lord's Prayer without thinking about it. That's what he's talking about. Or wrong motives toward God would be the, the other wrong motive. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. The fact that these evil things are asked for shows that the person is just using God like we just talked about. Here's what the scripture says instead of those kinds of motives. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. You see the difference there? It's about abiding in him as opposed to going out and getting what I want. 
Isaiah 59, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You're clinging on to your sin. And that's more important to you. That's your idol. Deal with that before you go to God and ask him for the desires of your heart. We need to understand that God always does what's best for us. C.S. Lewis said, if God had answered all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where should I be now? I know I can say that. What, what would have become of me if he had said yes to all of my prayers? Let me contrast that. Our prayers, our motives that are sometimes answered in a way that we don't want, our prayers, the answer no or not yet, with the prayers of Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about his prayers in Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. Here's what it says about him. And he was heard because of his reverence. The father heard the prayers of Jesus. In Hebrews, it says that he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. His prayers were heard. Jesus asked specifically. And Jesus always had the right motives. He always asked according to the Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. Well, you might say, well, okay, that's fine for Jesus because he always knew the Father's will. Of course he asked according to the Father's will, but I don't always know the Father's will. That's right. And that's the point. So here's how we deal with that. We need to get to know him better, and we'll know his will better. If you know the word of God better, you will know his will better. If you know Jesus better, you will know his will better. But also be glad that he doesn't answer all your prayers the way we ask. P.T. Forsyth said, We shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayer. Augustine's mother prayed for him. Before Augustine had ever come to Christ, he was in great rebellion and great sin. And he wanted to go to Rome. Well, his mother knew that was an awful place in that day. And so she prayed to God that he would not be able to go to Rome. He went to Rome. 
God answered no to her prayer. And yet it was in Rome that he came to Christ. You see, he answered not the words of her prayer, but the heart of her prayer. And so, let me challenge you to do something that you may have never done. And that is thank God for the gift of prayers answered no or not yet. You know, too often we tend to do this. When God answers yes to our prayer, what do we say? Oh, God is so good. He answered, you know, and then whatever our prayer was. How often do we say, oh, you know what, God is so good. He said no to my prayer. I don't even know why he said no. It makes sense to me. But I'm learning to trust that if he says no, that's what's best for me. Now, you may be concerned, well, what if I pray something against God's will? The pressure's off. I don't want you to worry about that. And here's why. Because Jesus is praying for you. And he knows the Father's will perfectly. It says, Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God, this is in Romans 8, who indeed is interceding for us. He is praying for you, and he knows the Father. You cannot mess up by praying a prayer because Jesus will take your words and he will make them right and pray them to the Father. And the Father always says yes to Jesus. And so Hebrews 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So pray. Pray with confidence. Don't be afraid of prayers that are answered no. Because even that answer is because of God's grace. Let's bow together.